I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hey, Mark, good to see you. Hello, Miriam. It's great to see you too. And I'm so excited to speak to Amy Holcroft today from HPE. I am too. She is going to bring us the lens of the person who is in the thick of it, the person who has a long history of practicing law, of focusing on privacy law, and who is now bringing that lens to thinking about and implementing uh, responsible AI at HPE. Yeah, I know that HPE has been on a journey with uh, AI ethics and that they've had a really big year. And I know that Amy has been part of the first cohort of the Equal AI Badge program. So I think between all of that, there's going to be a lot of really great stuff to talk about today. Yes, I think that's true. Hewlett Packard Enterprises was one of the first companies to sign up for the badge program. We were really excited to learn that responsible AI governance was something not only on their radar, but something they really want to dig into. They've been a very active participant in the badge program. So I know Amy will have a lot to share with us on the program today. Well, let's see what she has to say. Let's do it. Welcome back to In AI We Trust. This week, we are delighted to be joined by Amy Holcroft, who serves as Chief Privacy Officer at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE. In this role, Amy supervises an international team of attorneys and compliance professionals to manage HPE's global privacy and information governance programs. She also co-leads the HPE AI Ethics Advisory Board, HPE's AI Ethics Principles and Governance Structure, and the HPE Lab. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Amy. We are delighted to learn more about the important and very relevant work you're doing at HPE. Thank you, Mary. I'm really pleased to be able to join you today. Thanks for having me. Well, so let's jump right in. You have a background in corporate and commercial law with over 15 years of focusing on privacy. And along the way, you became interested in responsible AI and began leading this effort at HPE. Can you tell us how you became interested in artificial intelligence, responsible AI, and leading this work? Yes, Uh, well, we, it was prompted by um, a human rights risk assessment that was done by some of my colleagues within the ethics and compliance department by some independent human rights experts that we work with frequently. And the outcome of that was that they identified a number of um, human rights risks. And one of those was around in the space of AI. So particularly focused on um, responsible product development um, with a focus on AI and responsible use of our products. And then by extension, um, the risks of AI uh, to the extent we were using third party technology within our own business. So that's how it started. And then it was a sort of catalyst because you you know we were obviously very very well aware of the the growing regulatory environment in this space the reputational risks and it's also framed up in our mission to be a force for good and um to use technology in a responsible way so everything came together um and i within the ethics and compliance department there's my department privacy and information governance and then ethics and compliance and our human rights experts sit within that team so we got together and decided we needed to drive forward an an AI ethical practice within HPE and quickly decided that whilst we're all sort of subject matter experts in our different fields, um, mostly lawyers or, you know, experts, uh, we're not technology experts. So we we pulled in um, our friends from HPE Lab and the project is actually is, is, is a partnership between those two groups. And uh, 
I, I think you very kindly overstated my role. I don't completely lead it. I, I share the leadership of it at the working group level, but my boss, who's the chief ethics and compliance officer and um, a senior member of HP Lab actually co-chair the executive level and secured the sponsorship for the project. That's a really great kind of uh, story of how it came to be and obviously a collaboration between a lot of different parts of the organization. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could just walk us through a little bit more sort of what that looks like in practice. You know, what, what, what sorts of um, issues have you thought about or, or focused on so far through these, um, uh, through these groups, uh, including the, the AI Ethics Advisory Board? And what do you see as kind of the, the I guess, biggest challenges for your organization um, as it concerns AI ethics and, and the responsible use of AI? Well, if I could take the first piece um, around the governance structure, we when we sort of set out on our journey, we realized that the first thing we needed to focus on was establishing a proper governance structure. And we've done that um, in in two ways. So we understand that in understood that in best practice in corporate ethics, you need to have a separation of the operational content experts who design and develop the standards and systems and the executive leadership who are providing oversight and making those decisions that might bridge the business and the ethical considerations in AI. So to affect that in practice, we established um, an advisory board, which is whose members are executives from different business units and functions to provide that sort of ethical leadership and the connectivity into the corporate leadership. And then underneath that, which is where I do most of my work um, as co-chair with my colleague in HP Lab, we established an AI ethics working group. So we mirrored the membership of the board within the working group. Um, and that's where we focus on establishing policy and review process to help the company manage the ethical risks in our use and development of AI. This is so wonderful to be able to dig into this because this is something we talk about a lot that if you're going to be using AI, particularly in pivotal functions as you do, you need to have a governance system. Uh, so it'd be really helpful to learn more about what were the first steps that you either took or should have taken in setting up a governance structure? Um, what does the day-to-day -day look like? How often does a team like that need to plan to meet and, and what kind of uh, documents or uh, uh, informative materials do you need to establish so that company-wide people are aware of the decisions you're making? Yeah, so in terms of once we'd established that governance structure, really the, the, the work started within um, the working group and it was quite an intense period at the beginning of that journey to really focused on establishing our AI ethical principles. And we have a set of five principles which we published um, earlier this year, which was really exciting. And it was the culmination of a lot of work, all these different SMEs bringing their experience and their thoughts and their learnings um, to that process and very much framing up um, our ethical principles within, um, within our mission as a, as a company to provide technology solutions that advance the way people live and work. So whilst they are very much our principles, they're very, you know, they're, they're very similar to what you'll see coming out of other organizations um, or companies. Um, so the five of them are privacy enabled and secure, human focused, inclusive, responsible and robust. And once we had that framework, we felt we'd kind of established, you know, what our principles were. The next step was to look at how we were going to um, actually use those in practice. 
And to your question about sort of documents in process, we've, we've defined the AI ethical principles and a glossary that helps people understand some of the terminology we use in those principles. And then we really set about working out a process to ensure that we could review um, products we might be developing, partnerships we may be getting into with third parties, or the use of third-party AI technology in our own environment, which we referred to as the three Ps, which stand for product, partnership, and process. And we developed an, an intake form that allows the submitter to provide us with you know, fairly high-level information about what their project's about. We make a preliminary assessment about whether that is or isn't high risk and warrants further scrutiny. And if we feel it's sufficiently um, risky, we ask the submitter to present to the group of SMEs for about 45 minutes about their project. And it gives each of the SMEs an opportunity to ask questions, dig into um, the technology, the usage more. And then we actually, and then the output of that is actually a formal assessment document, which may identify particular risks and our proposals on how they can mitigate that. And then there's an ongoing dialogue with that group about, about our findings and how they can be remediated. And then the aim is that eventually we would track through the remediation to completion. Now, if it transpired that something was very risky, um, we would escalate that up to the executive board to, to make decisions on it. But thus far, we've been able to have really constructive dialogue with, with the groups or functions looking at technology or developing technology and provide um, useful input. So it's early stages and we're definitely iterating um, that process. Um, we're very conscious that, uh, you know, in big organisations, uh, there's a lot of form fatigue, filling in forms for compliance assessments or security assessments. So we've tried to design it in such a way that it's easy to use and the output is effective and, and it's done in, very much in the spirit of partnership and collaboration. We don't want to be seen as... Um, preventing business, we want to be seen as enabling business and doing business in the right way. It's a term that I've never heard before, form fatigue, but it's something that I think animates a lot of the conversations and the and the processes that, that we think about and we talk about. And I think it's, it, it just speaks to this um, importance of, you know, we talk a lot about human-centered AI, but I think you also need to have human-centered AI governance where the people who are going to be partners in that process, you know, the engineers, the uh, privacy professionals, et cetera, can actually easily do their bit. And so I think that's a really um, thoughtful uh, way to think about it. Uh, I want, sorry, go ahead. If I could add that additionally, we're very conscious that um, as we, we're moving in more into our operationalization phase, so we want to enable tools and processes for the business to be you know, thinking about AI ethics when they're developing products and solutions, whether it's internally or with partners, that, you know, how can we create tools that work for them? You know, I'm a lawyer and lawyers are very guilty of, of speaking like lawyers and writing like lawyers. But actually, if you're an engineer and you need to be thinking about ethical issues, you know, having my treaties on something is not necessarily going to be very helpful. I'm very conscious of that in the privacy world that I can, you know, quote sections of the GDPR people, but what does that actually mean for them in practice? How can we turn that into the vernacular for them and into tools that actually work for them? So, you know, we're very conscious that this is very much a partnership because we're not gonna successfully operationalize if we can't make this relevant to the work these people are doing because I'm not an engineer, I'm not a developer, but how can I help them to develop tools that that work for them and meet our aim of helping them to have a responsible approach to ethics and AI. No, it's, 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 a, it's a great um, 
it's a great framework, uh, a, a great kind of guiding philosophy, I think, is to, to, to recognize that these different groups are, to some degree, speaking different languages and coming from different backgrounds and even different worldviews uh, to, to a degree. And, and, and that the, the process of doing AI governance means grappling with that and engaging with it. And I would love to just, um, you know, for the benefit of our, of our listeners, I think um, one thing that I think would be really interesting is just to hear to the extent that you're able to share an example of, um, of a, a product or a, a use case that uh, you've run this process on or that you're you know, hoping to run this process on, just to, to give our, our, our listeners a sense of firstly, you know, how HPE is using AI or is thinking about AI, and then also you know, how the rubber meets the road in terms of a particular application or use case running through this process. Well, I, I think a good one to to focus on, which actually ties in really well with, with my participation in the Equal AI Badge program is around a recent acquisition by our human resources function to use AI technology in the recruitment process. I mean, as I'm sure you know, that kind of usage of AI has been highlighted as being particularly high risk in the draft EU AI Act. Um, because of the risk of discrimination and bias and so it was it immediately flashed as something that the working group needed to, to have their eyes on and the, the the president we actually had the vendor come and present um to us which was really helpful and allowed us to dig into that to those risks around bias and discrimination and how are we going to manage them and even though the vendor gave you know reassuring responses we one of the things that came out of it was a feeling that we, you know, AI by, by its very nature is always morphing and changing and new risks may transpire. So how are we going to make sure we were on top of that as an organization? And, and into that came, a, it was very timely that I'd had a the second session with the Equal AI um, badge program and we talked about algorithmic auditing. And so how, you know, we had a really, really animated discussion on our working group about how, we, how are we going to apply algorithmic auditing to this, these kind of products? Could we do that in partnership with the vendor? Did we need to do that independently with an external vendor or expertise that we may have in-house? And those are unanswered questions, but I think it's a really good example of how that process allowed all of us to really think about, okay, so we adopt this technology and we're pretty confident at the outset that there's a low risk of bias and we can manage it, but how are we going to effectively manage it? How are we going to continue on that responsible journey? Um, so I hope that's a good example of how it's how we're living it in action. Um, at HPE. Well, speaking of living it in action, you mentioned the Equal AI Badge program that we launched in collaboration with the World Economic Forum. Uh, it's a new program. You were one of the first companies to sign up and would love to get your thoughts on why was this a program? You have very limited spare time. Uh, it's an hour and a half a month for six months uh, with a bunch of people, uh, the cohort you didn't know. I'm sure many of the speakers you had heard of, but what made you decide that this is a program that was worth your time? What were you expecting to get out of it? And you told us a little bit, uh, but what else are you getting out of it? Well, I think well, we had you know long-standing association with the WEF, and it was so it was great that they in introduced us to you, Miriam, and the program. And I think it just immediately chimed with with me and my other my colleagues that this was very relevant to what we were doing, and that you know we're all on a journey. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not an AI expert. Um, I have expertise in some things, but you know everyone's always learning, and it was a great opportunity. And the company is really good at encouraging people to learn and develop. And I immediately felt this was a, as a good opportunity for both for me in my own personal development, but also the learnings as I've already explained that I can take back to help the company. 
And I, I know from my work in different privacy forums that it's, it's invaluable to be able to talk to your peers, to have access to experts who have different experiences, different views, and just prompt you to think dif differently about things. But the, the other aspect with the peers is that you can share your wins and your challenges, but also there's a, there's a hugely kind of therapeutic element to it that you hear from other people who are going through exactly the same journey with you, exactly the same challenges, and you're all kind of, it just helps to keep you pushing forward because sometimes with these initiatives, you have to be quite resilient to keep pushing forward and progress them. And so there's that shared experience is really invaluable um, to, to support you and to learn. I'm so glad to hear you say that because you're an important member of the community. And I think some of the insights you've shared obviously have resonated so much with others who, you know, people are in different parts of their journey, but they see similar challenges. Um, maybe it's a, a good, to, if you wouldn't mind elaborating on a, a little bit more of how, how you've seen these challenges emerge in your work, what kinds of challenges uh, in risks. You mentioned also that at a certain point, you elevate the risk up to the next level. Um, how do you define risk? How do you know when it's time to bump it upstairs or, or really investigate further? Um, I might take the, the first part of your question, which I think was around um, challenges. And I think um, when I was thinking about this, I think that we're, we're at a sort of quite a pivotal stage in our journey because we're just, we're, we're very much we're, we're partly into our operationalization phase and we've got more work to do on that. So that's really the focus for us in FY22 is on operationalizing. And that's gonna be kicked off with a training that we're launching um, hopefully in a few weeks to start to educate the broader community and um, bring them into our project more. But, you know, I think operationalizing is hard. I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't easy to, to sort of define the governance structure and the principles and it was a it was a really enjoyable process but now you've got to actually live it and HP like many companies were a big complicated organization and I can say with confidence that universally people are supportive of this work and and, re and recognize its importance but in an organization like this and many others you're always there are always competing priorities um, and focus areas and so you have to make sure that you are going back to our, you know what I was saying before about making this relevant and applicable by different groups you've got it's really important that you work with them so that this is successful but it isn't easy and I think you have to be tenacious and you have to be resilient and you have to keep pushing it forward um, but we take our wins where we get them and and our approach is to to build is just to keep building you know, incrementally um, until we have more widespread adoption of practices throughout the company. It's a great point. I think it's something that, that Miriam, Miriam and I have heard uh, a lot from, from different folks that we've talked to is just um, the, you know, for, for Miriam and I, we, we think about AI governance and policy all day. And for us, it's this, you know, crowning number one priority in all of what we think about. But of course, if you're HPE, there are many different things that you have to balance every day. There are customers, there are products, there are engineers, you know, there's there's a lot going on in the external environment, of course, is always changing. And so um, in a way, I think it's much harder to do your job than it is for Miriam and I to do ours, just because, you know, you have the P&L to think about and you have everything else and um, you can't just um, come at it with this, this single mindset. And so this, this persuasion and this um, 
kind of trying to get everyone to move forward together becomes even more important. And I thought maybe I'd just ask you about that, you know, to the extent that you have now been on this journey throughout the year of, of defining the principles and moving towards operationalization, uh, what, what's been really successful in terms of, you know, uh, kind of selling this internally and what have been the challenges? Um, good question. I, I think I think what's been successful is is being able to pull together all these wonderful people that I work with to 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 drive the project and having that kind of collective support and and will to make this happen is 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 great. I mean, and that's that's from that's from the executive level all the way down. So I think we've been really successful in gathering ourselves defining our governance structure, defining a path forward. Um, but the, the challenge, I think, I, I think the challenge really is, is the operationalization piece. Um, and we have to, and I think we have to be really thoughtful about where we want to target that and, and how we, you know, how we execute on that for this to be successful. And I think we're, you know, when I when I think about our sort of work with the functions, you know, HR is obviously a, a, a key candidate and they're very engaged and you know we have somebody on the working group and that's you know that's it's visible within their organization it's been socialized and we're seeing you know we're being engaged in consultations about should we be concerned about this should this go through a review and similarly you know we're seeing that rolling out within the business so we've done work around facial recognition and we have a, a screening process for vendors facial recognition vendors we want to get involved in again to kind of deal with some of the risk side and we want to continue with that work so it's really about finding um, a part of the business which can partner with us on, I think, a really well-defined project. And I think what's interesting about the business angle is that, yes, although we are competing with lots of other priorities and demands on the business, we know that the business is also finding that sometimes you, you can't bid on a deal if you don't have a good answer about your approach to AI ethics. Or you've got customers who really want to sit around the table with you and talk about AI ethics. So that helps to drive the engagement because if you see it coming at you from the customer end, that's a big driver, whether it's for salespeople or technical people. So we're seeing really, really strong roots here, um, which we just need to, to capitalize on and continue to grow. We'd like to end our interviews with, uh, with the same question for all of our guests, which is to ask about uh, the rose, thorn, and bud of AI. So the rose is something that you're excited about that uh, is happening with respect to AI. Uh, the thorn is something that you're fearful of or nervous about. And the bud is something that's coming down the pipeline that's out there on the horizon that um, you're paying attention to and, 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 and thinking is going to be important in the future. So, uh, Amy, would love to hear uh, what, what are your rose, thorn, and bud? I think from the, the rose perspective, I think is very much feeling positive about the work we're doing and the difference that we're making both to the company in terms of, how, of our ethical um, practices and, and the way that that benefits the people who buy our technology or will be the end users or subjects of that technology. And that's that's something to feel really positive about. And certainly being part of the AI Equal Badge program is, is, a, is a step towards that in, in helping us on our journey. I think the thorn, you know, I don't want to frame it in a negative way, but I think operationalizing is, is a concern. I mean, it, it, it's something that every company has to strive to do and, and do well. And so, but I think it, 
whilst it may be a thorn, it's also a bud because it's great to see how our program is developing and and changing. It's sort of it's iterative in different places and how we're all learning um, as we go. And that that's a positive thing to continue our aim to capitalize on a strong ethical reputation that HP already has and to advance that even more through the work we're doing around responsible AI. Fantastic. Well, we are so lucky to be able to learn from someone who is so deep in this, who's given so much thought to what responsible AI governance looks like and actually is in the operations implementation phase. Uh, so thank you for sharing your insights with us and we'll look forward to continue to learning with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Amy. Well, Mark, as we thought, Amy had a lot to share with us on responsible AI governance. What were the big takeaways for you? I thought that was a great conversation. I think a, a couple of things jumped out. One is just, you know, it, it's almost sobering, uh, but also inspiring to hear just how much work and thought has to go into getting this right at a company like Hewlett Packard Enterprise. You know, it's a multi-billion dollar company. It has probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of customers and uh, employees and stakeholders. And so just hearing Amy talk through the process that they went through to establish the, the governance structure for AI ethics within HPE, uh, I found it very impressive and also really a good uh, reminder that, you know, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. You can't just wave a magic wand and all of a sudden uh, you have it figured out. There are a lot of different stakeholders that need to be involved. There are a lot of competing interests that need to be balanced and navigated. And ultimately you really need to think not just about you know, what your North Star is and what your ethics are, but how do you actually operationalize them? And I guess that, that for me was a, a really um, important through line of what Amy was saying is that, um, you know, the devil's in the details and, and it's all in the implementation. It's um, not enough to just know what your values are. You actually have to substantiate them with processes and you have to have accountability. So I, I found that very impressive just to hear her um, go through that process. It obviously was a huge amount of work and I think it you know probably can and should be a model for other companies. What about you, Miriam? What jumped out on your side? Yeah, I thought it was also very compelling to hear why they are so invested in this work, that they're really concerned about the reputational risk that comes with AI, whereas she and many of us think of AI as a force for good, they're also hyper-focused on the risk. And it's interesting how quickly they became aware of that and the depth to which they are taking this risk so seriously. Uh, I was also struck by uh, her experience in this effort as it being a journey. Um, I thought it was so interesting how she was talking about being a, in part of the badge program uh, that we co-host is a therapeutic experience and was really struck by her, her language that it really, it takes resilience to do this work. And, and that, uh, you know, I think we can't underestimate uh, how hard it is. It's one thing to establish what the principles are. It's hard enough to think about what your process should look like, what the right risks are that you want to solve for, how you're going to solve for them, but then the actual day-to-day -day work of sticking with it and fighting this fight in so many ways is, is really um, uh, a journey, as she said, and, and I was struck by uh, how she's experiencing that and, and, and why she is uh, so committed to it. Um, 
I also thought it was really gratifying to hear about her experience with the exercise that we went through with Kathy O'Neill in the badge program of an ethical matrix and how she was actually able the next week to implement that um, within her company. So it was very interesting to hear um, not just a, a shout out to the badge program, but there are these tools that are starting to be developed. You know, Kathy O'Neill has developed some of them and, and how uh, these universally can be applied. They can make this journey easier for all those who are on it and who want to be um, doing this right. And, and it's exciting to see that as we navigate this new and sometimes complex, challenging path, uh, there are some North Stars that we can all look to together and learn from. I couldn't agree more. I thought that was really a, in addition to being a, a nice advertisement, I, I suppose, or a nice validation of the, the badge program, it was just a, a reminder that uh, we don't all have to reinvent the wheel here. Uh, there are some good models that uh, can be picked up, you know, perhaps tweaked for different organizational contexts, but that um, we're in this really interesting moment where the nature of the challenges are becoming more clear. Uh, we have tools that are being developed to address them. And the work of folks like Amy and her counterparts and other companies is really to connect the dots between those things and figure out which are the right tools for the right use case for the right issue within their company. And I just thought, you know, Amy, uh, she just gave us a great snapshot of, you know, what it's like to do that work on the front lines of a big, complex company. And um, I'm, I'm so excited to, to learn more about their work as the badge program unfolds and to, to see, um, you know, how they take it forward as they continue with this operationalization. 100%. I totally agree. Well, that was another great episode, and I'm already looking forward to our next one. Likewise. See you soon, Miriam. Bye, Mark. You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. Subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback, and if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 